0: It's Wednesday, July 4th, and it is Celebration Week. We had Canada Day, and we had American Independence Day this week. I love this time of year because I love freedom. So today's episode, it's a day early, uh, and I want to do something special. We're going to do a special history episode in light of this week of celebration. It's going to be a really good one, by the way. You're not going to want to miss it. So I'm really excited about this. Um, but before we get into all of that, my first episode of the Euthanasia Debate is now up on YouTube and my website. So check it out, lauraleesiemens.com or under lauralee at YouTube. You can also check out my other series, The Abortion Debate. So all the videos are short and they all answer just one question, so it's really easy to listen to. I also have another series I just started called Kidsmen. So if you're doing VBS or Kids Club at your church this summer, I'm going to be posting a few videos to really help you with that. So the first one is how to lead a small group. So go ahead and check that out. Okay, so like I said, this is going to be a special episode. We're going to be talking about history. So one of the things that drives me crazy is people saying America and Canada, they're these horrible countries built on white supremacy. We should hate them, blah, 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 blah. So... History. History is full of people, people who made good choices, people who made bad choices. It's full of bravery. It's full of cowardly. It's history. It's just people, flawed people and how they existed. And sometimes when you study history, you'll find it's actually eerily similar to today. So as you listen to today's podcast, as you listen to this history, I want you to just stop and think about today and see if history is actually repeating itself. So we're going to go all the way back to 1809. America is less than 40 years old, and in a little one-room cabin, a baby boy comes into the world. Abraham Lincoln. So Abraham as a child, he was homeschooled, and for the most part, he taught himself. He was really known as a boy of character. So one day as a young man, he was working in a store, and a man came by. He was desperate for some supplies, and all he had to trade was this barrel. So Abraham had no idea what was in the barrel and judging from the desperate situation the man was in, there was probably nothing of worth in the barrel. But the man needed food and supplies or he was going to die. So Abraham made the trade. After the man left, Abraham opened the barrel and it was mostly just useless things. But at the very bottom of the barrel, Abraham found some law books. For the rest of the summer, Abraham pored over the law books and memorized everything in them. This was the beginning of his love for law. So in 1820, there was another man named Junus Booth, and he arrived in the USA. He came from England. So he was a famous actor, and he came to America to pursue the theater in the United States. So the Booth family and the Lincoln family, they would end up forever being entwined in history. In 1820... Abraham joined the militia and he had this really big passion for his country and wanting to serve his country. And two years later, he ran for the Illinois government, but he lost. He really was not a politician and he didn't come across as a politician. But that year, he did become the postman and he was admitted to the bar. So his reading of all those law books was really paying off. Meanwhile, Junius Booth, he had a bunch of kids, he actually had 10. And his ninth child was born May 10, 1838 and his name was John so the family lived in Maryland and the Booth name had become very well known and the family was really well respected a year later after John was born so one year later Abraham married Mary Todd and he was now at this point he was a lawyer and the Lincoln name was also this very respected name Abraham Lincoln actually in 1849 he argued a case in the Supreme Court and he lost that case but that same year, he entered politics and he ran, and this time he won a seat in the House of Representatives. But then, in the 1850s, there was this other man named John Brown, and he began to fight to, flee, to free the slaves. So, John decided that just arguing about slavery was no longer good enough. So, John and his five sons began to attack and kill slave owners. At this time, a Judas Booth died, and his son John took the death of his father really hard. And he decided to follow in the the footsteps of his father and become an actor. His older brothers, Junius Jr. and Edmund, they were already actors. So John decided he was going to become an actor. And almost right away he became famous. I mean, women loved him. He was so good looking. And in his plays, he was a really physical actor. In fact, people would say it was like watching acrobats on the stage. John very quickly rose to a place where he could really have any part he wanted. And he was recognized and admired wherever he went. In 1854, many states had become slave-free. So the issue of slavery was really a hot-button issue of that day. And at that point, people saw there was really no chance of slavery being outlawed across all of the country. But state-by-state, the anti-slave movement was winning. The idea that each state could decide for itself became known as popular sovereignty. So in 1854, Kansas ended up having this huge violent protest because the idea of popular sovereignty coming to Kansas that led people to be willing to go out in the streets and fight. The idea was this. You couldn't grant personhood to the slave because that would mean taking rights away from the slave owner. There was this other idea. If you're against slaves then don't own a slave in 1857 a man named Dred Scott took a case all the way to the Supreme Court so Dred Scott was a slave and his slave owner was a military doctor so Dred Scott had lived with his owner in Illinois and Wisconsin two states that were slave free after Dred Scott owner died he was left to his owner's wife so Dred Scott went to court and sued for his freedom based on the idea that he had lived in free states. He ended up losing in the Supreme Court ruling on March 6, 1857. The court said Dred Scott could not be a citizen and that he was property. The court said that they had no right to take property away from a citizen. So now it was considered settled law. Does that sound familiar? The Supreme Court had decided. John Booth, of course, was very happy about the Supreme Court decision. And John Booth, he was very, very pro-slavery. And the attacks of John Brown continued. John Booth was horrified, and he spoke about the Brown family and how he wanted to see justice done. In October of 1959, Brown's crew had grown into really a small militia, and they took a group captive, and it turned into a bloodbath. Brown's sons were killed in the battle, and Brown was captured and sentenced to die. John Booth actually traveled to go and see the hanging of John Brown. That same year, Abraham Lincoln ran to be a senator, but he lost. Then in 1860, the young Republican men asked Abraham Lincoln to speak to the group. So, the Republican Party was a new party and they were anti slavery. They were also a party that believed in limited government. So, Abraham Lincoln got up to speak and the crowd was not impressed. I mean, he was so ugly, he was extremely tall, he was really awkward. And right away, they were like, oh, this is going to be a really wasted night. I mean, who is this guy, and who invited him to come and speak? Well, Abraham got up to speak, and he spoke about slavery. And he said he believed the states needed to have the right to choose for themselves, and that the government could not impose anti-slave laws on the whole country. They didn't have the right to do that. And also, he said it would lead to the country just dissolving. Abraham Lincoln spoke about John Brown, too, who had just been executed, And he also pointed out that a million and a half people supported slavery in the country. He also said slavery would end one day, but he didn't want it to end by destroying the country or by the government overstepping its power. As Abraham got down from the platform, the crowd began to cheer. I mean, this was amazing. And this was the beginning of Abraham leading the country. In October of that year, John Booth was getting ready for his starring role in Hamlet. But he was playing with his friend's gun and accidentally shot himself in the leg. He lost his role because of that and he ended up being stuck in bed or in a chair for his recovery. And during that time, he began following the election. And it was the election of 1860, which is one of the craziest elections in American history. That year, the Republican Party picked Abraham Lincoln to represent them in the election. At that time, there was really two main parties, the Democrats and the Whig Party. So John Bell ran for the Whig Party, and the Democrats nominated Stephen A. Douglas. But there was also a break-off of the Democrat Party called the Fire Eaters, and they nominated John C. Breckridge. So the election was between Abraham Lincoln, Stephen A. Douglas, John C. Breckridge, and John Bell. And it was a heated election. Of course, slavery was one of the main topics. One of the highest turnouts in American history – 81.2% of voters turned out to vote. Abraham Lincoln only received 39.8% of the votes. As of today, that is still the second worst election win in history. Abraham Lincoln won only because of the Electoral College. The Democrats lost their minds. He is not our president. He didn't win. The people don't even want him. Does that sound familiar? Before Lincoln was even the president, while he was still just president-elect, the Democrats were announcing that they were going to pronounce their guy, Breckridge, as the president. The newspapers were shocked by Lincoln's victory. No one even knew what do they do about this. I mean, this tall, ugly, awkward guy from this party, the Republicans. Most of the country didn't even want him as a president, yet out of some fluke, he won because of the Electoral College. I mean, what do you do about that? Lincoln said he refused to apologize for the crime of being elected. The Democrat strongholds of South Carolina, Georgia, and Mississippi they voted to withdraw from the union. Lincoln wasn't even the president yet. As Lincoln was sworn in as president, it was a divided country. It was really chaos. President Lincoln tried to calm the storm in his first address. He said he had no plans of stopping slavery in the pro-slavery states, and he believed in leaving slavery issue up to each individual state. The storm was not calm. February 18th, just a few weeks after President Lincoln was sworn in, Democrat Jefferson Davis was also sworn in as the president of the new Confederate states. This was war. Fort Sumter. The American flag was raised at the fort. The new confederate army surrounded the fort. For months the army refused to surrender but supplies and food was getting less and less and they realized they were going to die if they didn't surrender. A really good book to read is the diary from Dixie. This is the story of these brave people who tried to keep the fort for America but in the end they had to surrender. A man named Robert Anderson he took down the flag and took it with him as he left. But Robert would be back almost four years exactly to raise the exact same flag over Fort Sumter again. The country was at war, but one night, three slaves would change history and change the war. 250 years before that night, a ship called the White Lion had brought slaves to America. But that night, three slaves rowed across the same river in a stolen boat, and they came to Fort McRowe, and the three slaves asked for asylum. Well, there was a lot of confusion in the fort. I mean, what were they supposed to do? What what were the laws on slavery now? Butler, And he was a commanding officer. He had no idea what he was supposed to do. I mean, the law was that if you found a runaway slave, you had to return them. But now they were at war. Was this still the law? So the slaves told the soldiers they had been building military equipment for the Confederate Army. And that is when Butler knew what to do. So when the slave owner showed up asking for his slaves to be returned, Butler asked if they were his property. And he said yes. Butler then reminded him that in war, you can take property that is being used in the war. It's called contraband of war. Since the slaves were his property and since they were being used to build military equipment, they would now be considered contraband of war. Two days later, eight more slaves showed up announcing they were contraband of war. And the next day, 47 showed up, this time including women and children. Every day, more and more showed up, and the newspaper began to print the story, What is to be done with the blacks? By 1862, 10,000 black people were living in what was called contraband of war camps. Lincoln ended up declaring martial law in Maryland, where John Booth was living. John was a Democrat and very pro-slavery, and he began putting a plan together to kidnap President Lincoln. At that time, there was a lady named Elizabeth Keeley, and she was working for the Lincoln family. Elizabeth was a black woman, and her son, he was really fair-skinned, and he signed up as a white man to fight in the war. But he died fighting in the war. Elizabeth and Mary Todd Lincoln, they became very close after that. Both had lost children, and they really grieved together. Elizabeth started a group called Contraband Relief Fund, and this was a way to raise money for the black families that were living in these contraband camps. During this time, Lincoln had to answer the question, what to do about the blacks. The camps were growing, and he no longer did just sit on the fence. He couldn't say he was personally against slavery, but he wanted to leave it up for the states to decide. He had to decide. It had to be decided now by him. So he had five black men come to the White House, and he had a plan, and he wanted them to help sell his plan. His plan was to take all the black people in the United States put them on a boat and send them to what is now the Panama. They could have their own country and they could work in the coal mines. Yeah, that plan was not received well. In fact, the abolitionist who had up until that point supported Lincoln actually turned on him. So then he came up with another plan. Maybe the American government could just buy all the slaves from the south. Also, that plan didn't go over well. So then he came up with another plan. All the states that were in the rebellion Their slaves would now be free persons, but that didn't give freedom to all the slaves because there were still states that were in the Union that were slave states. The abolitionists said where he could, he didn't, and where he couldn't, he did. But Lincoln had an idea. He would win the war by freeing the slaves. Without the slave labor, the Confederates would not be able to survive. Already so many slaves coming and declaring themselves contraband, the effect was being felt in the war. But the cabinet was divided. Lincoln was not very popular, and his ideas seemed wild, and some of them were wild. The whole country had fallen apart as soon as he became president. And most of the politicians saw him as just a fluke win. And none of them really considered him a real politician. In just a short time he'd been in office, he'd completely destroyed the country. At least, that's how they saw it. On February 22, Lincoln decided that if the Confederates did not give up by January 1, he would free all slaves. So the war was now officially over slavery. And that changed things. The Democrats of the North were very upset. They didn't want the slaves to be free. They said the blacks would take all their jobs. The Democrats of the North, they called themselves Copperhead Democrats. And they also didn't want to join the army and fight if they were going to be fighting for the freedom of the slaves. Why should our husbands and sons die to free the black men? But the Confederate army was having the same problem. Except for the Confederate army, it was the Republicans who were not willing to fight. The Republicans didn't own slaves. Not a single Republican owned a slave at the time of the Civil War. Why should they send their sons and husbands to fight a war for the slave owner? They were not slave owners. In fact, one Republican army actually declared themselves a separate country called The Free State of Jones, and by the way, a great movie. I highly recommend that you go and see that movie. It was now Democrats versus Republicans, and it was time for the midterm elections. In 1862, the Democrats got 28 new seats, a blue wave, but it was not enough to take the power away from the Republicans. January 1st, Abraham Lincoln sat at his desk and signed what was in the history of the United States, and I would even say the history of the world. The most important document to ever be signed but only a few people were there to see it less than 12 people who just happened to be at the white house at the time came to watch lincoln sign the paper that gave freedom to every single black person in america after he signed the paper he said i have never felt more right about anything this signing changed the war and i would say it won the war because at that time europe was about to take sides with the confederate states They saw the states as simply just wanting freedom from the rest of America. But the signing of that paper changed things because now the war was officially over slavery. Europe had passed laws to free slaves and they could not be seen siding with the pro-slavery states so Europe then refused to help the confederate states or even recognize the confederate states. Then the summer of 1863 in Gettysburg, some Union soldiers and some confederate soldiers happened to run into each other. They quickly ran back to their troops to let their officers know the other side was there. A very bloody battle broke out. In just a few days the Union soldiers had 3,155 dead, 14,529 injured, and 5,903 missing. The Confederate Army had 3,903 dead, 18,736 injured, and 5,425 missing. 3,000 horses were dead. The battlefield was covered in dead bodies that lay in the hot sun. Groans could be heard from the injured that were laying among the dead, slowly dying themselves. The heat and the smell of death covered the area. It was a horrifying scene. On Thursday, November 19th, 1863, Over four months after this battle, a group gathered to dedicate a national cemetery for the thousands of dead. A speaker stood and spoke for two hours. In the heat of the day, he gave a speech that was very political. He then sat down and people applauded, politely. Then the president got up to speak. The crowd was quiet for his speech. The other politicians were a little nervous. What was this guy going to say? President Lincoln stood and spoke for just a few minutes and then sat down. Politicians were shocked and embarrassed. How could he give such a short and simple message on this day that was so important? Did he not take it seriously at all? The crowd loved the speech. And today, 155 years later, children are still memorizing this speech. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether the nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot concentrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember, that what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from those honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we are highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Over the course of the whole Civil War, roughly 2% of the population, an estimated 620,000 men lost their lives in line of duty. It is still today the bloodiest war America fought. As the war came to the close, John Booth had lost his mind. He had stopped taking most of his acting roles and had gone into debt. He had become completely obsessed with his scheme to kidnap the president. On April 11th, John Booth went to hear Lincoln speak. In his speech, Lincoln said, as the war was now over, he was going to fight for the right for the black men to vote. John Booth was at a breaking point and hearing that was all he needed to hear. Black men being allowed to vote, he said to his friend, forget kidnapping, I'm going to run him through. Three days later, John Booth killed Abraham Lincoln. The Democrats refused to accept the black person was in fact a person, and although it was settled law through the Supreme Court, men, white men by the way, stood with the Republican president and fought for freedom. The Democrats didn't give up after the Civil War. They still tried with Jim Crow laws and the KKK to take freedom away from the black person. But the Republican Party has always stood for freedom for all under the belief that all people are created equal. Why do we study history? You no, know, it was but a year ago that I began studying the life of Abraham Lincoln. And after learning about him and the Civil War, I began to see that really nothing has changed. Today, one party is fighting for the rights of human beings to have personhood rights, the unborn. One party is fighting for the rights to kill the unborn. The Democrats are still on the side that not all human beings are persons, and the Republicans, although this time not all of them, but most of them, are on the side of all humans are persons. Abortion is settled law according to the Supreme Court, but a new Supreme Court judge just might change that. Right now, abortion debate is heating up again. Republican states it's harder and harder to have an abortion, while the Democrat states they're willing to go to war to keep that right. Republican president is mocked and scorned by the media and of the politicians today. People say he just won by a fluke, it was just the electoral college. He refuses to apologize, though, for his crime of winning the election. Actors hate him and they're throwing away their careers and losing their minds and the Democrats still today are refusing to admit he's their president. But now people are ta- beginning to talk about civil war, mostly just in a joking way, but violence is breaking out in the streets. If 2% of the population died today in the civil war, that would be 6 million deaths. I think America is on a ledge. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. Today was just a special history lesson episode. Next week I'll be back for a regular podcast. See you next Thursday. In the meantime, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com.